going to be looking today at verses 5 through 13. And as you're turning there, um, each Sunday morning uh, before we have our first service, about 8.30 in the morning, uh, a group of us meet in my office to pray. You're welcome to join us uh, for that time. Last week, I, I, t- I share that with you to tell you, last week as we were praying, Michael Gilbert, one of our elders here, was praying. And he was, uh, as he's praying, he prayed this to the Lord. He said this, we can't imagine what it would be like to have the veil. And that just struck me and has stuck with me all week. We can't imagine, Lord, what it would be like to have the veil. If you remember in the Old Testament with the temple and then before that with the tabernacle, there was a veil, right? There was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from everything and everyone, And only one person, and he once a year could go into the holy place. Once a year. One person. If you weren't the high priest, it wasn't you. You didn't get to go in. You didn't get to go into the very presence of God. Now just think about that. What would that be like? We're on the other side of the cross, And we know the goodness of the sacrifice of Jesus and the veil has been torn and we've been granted access into the holy of holies through Jesus. What would it be like to have the veil? And sadly, I think at times we act like it's still there. We live like it's still hanging. We love and we want other people to intercede for us. We want other people to go before the Lord on our behalf like the high priest did. But are we living as if the veil is gone? That access has been granted through Jesus. Are we coming to him in prayer? Are we a prayerful people? Do we live as if the veil is gone? Last week we looked at Luke chapter 11 verses 1 through 4. The apostles see and hear Jesus praying. This is a pattern in his life we've seen in the gospel of Luke. And one of the disciples speaks up and says, Teach us, Lord, to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus, we saw in verses 2 through 4, gives what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And then he continues from there Not just telling them how to pray and what to pray. And certainly we know that the Lord's Prayer is not the only prayer we are to pray. We have other prayers in the New Testament that uh, we can see and it's not identical to the Lord's Prayer. But it's, it's how we ought to pray. And then he goes from giving the Lord's Prayer into verses 5 through 13 where he not just tells us how to pray, but gives us motivation to pray. If verses 2 through 4 and the truths that we see in the Lord's Prayer, that he is our Father and he is holy and set apart, and that we're desperate and dependent on him, and he provides for our needs. If, if those truths aren't motivating enough to move us to be people of prayer, then verses 5 through 13 are here to just encourage us and, and, and move us towards a prayerful life. And so let's look at it together. If you would stand, I'm going to read it, follow along, beginning with verse 5 in Luke chapter 11. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, 
Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up, excuse me, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray. Father, would you help us? We're so grateful that we can come to you, that the veil is torn, that you yourself ripped it from top to bottom. That we have access and are invited to come to you through Christ. We praise you for that. Would you help us in this time? Would you encourage our hearts, motivate us, move us to be a prayerful people who pray and who believe. Who know you as Father. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, what's the point of what Jesus is saying here? The point of Jesus' illustration is to get us to ask, to come and to pray. It's to help motivate us to pray, to be a praying people, to be known by prayer, to know and be encouraged that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Before we get into this text, and before we begin to unpack it together, I want to confess to you, okay, I tend to put fences around texts like this. I tend to read them and preach them and make excuses for God. I want to soften the blow. I want to prepare. I want to, I want to give him an out, I want to make sure that I don't preach it in a way. We want to be careful. We can't just say ask and we can't just say seek and we can't just say knock. We got to be careful. We got to build fences around what the text says and we got to be careful of how we present it because what about when we ask if it's not his will? What about when we ask and he doesn't say yes? And so I am prone to approach in my own heart and my mind these kinds of texts first with fences around them, with barriers, with helps. I want to help God out. Let me, let me clarify and make this clear for you, Lord. But today I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put fences up around the text. I'm going to preach what it says. And so let me put it this way in approaching it for you from my heart. I believe 
that a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who is denying themselves and taking up their cross and following Jesus, can and ought to approach him and ask for anything and trust and believe that he is good and gives good gifts to his children. Verses five through eight say this. Jesus said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him and he will not answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. This first illustration that Jesus gives to encourage and motivate us to pray is kind of a somewhat a funny story, right? You have this friend as you think through the circumstances. You have this man who has a friend come and visit him. And as this friend comes to visit, he doesn't want to uh, not show hospitality. That would be a, a shameful thing for him not to be hospitable, particularly in this culture. So he's got to be hospitable because his name, his reputation is on the line here. So he's got to be hospitable, but he doesn't have anything to give. He has no food to set before this man. And so here's this problem that he has, right? He has, he has nothing to give. He has nothing to set before him, and yet... He has to be hospitable. He doesn't want to come across as someone who's, who's, un, uh, who's unfriendly, who's unneighborly. He wants to provide for his friend. He wants to take care of his needs. But he doesn't have anything to give the man to eat. And so he thinks of another friend, a friend who lives nearby. And he thinks, I'll go to him. And I'll ask him if he can let me borrow food, some loaves of bread to give to this friend who's come on a journey and is now staying with me that I might give him something to eat. And so he goes. But the problem is greater than this lack of food, lack of supplies, because it tells us what time is it? It's midnight. It's midnight. He goes to this man's house to call out to him, to ask him for bread. Now think about the circumstance here for a moment. There's, a, there's some things we can learn just from this part of the text, this story, this illustration that Jesus gives. First of all, we know from the story there's a sincere need here. The guy needs the bread. It would be shameful for him not to provide. He has, he has a friend who's come, a visitor in his home. It would be a shameful thing for him to be a bad Host, he has nothing to put before him. Certainly the man is tired. Certainly he's hungry and he has nothing to give him. If, if this were the only thing we saw from the text, I think that it alone should motivate us to be people who pray. As we consider the text today, knowing that Jesus is giving us these illustrations to encourage and motivate us to be people of prayer, that alone should move us and encourage us to be people who pray. There, there are circumstances in our lives where we have needs. Why not pray first? Why not run to the Lord? That we tend to think things about ourselves, even in our own hearts and minds. Well, if, if I'd have planned better, if I wouldn't have gotten myself into this mess, then there wouldn't be a problem. So it's my fault. I should take care of it myself. Are we 
honestly, we can be critical of others and think the same things of other people. If they wouldn't have gotten themselves in this mess, there wouldn't be a problem. But why not pray? And the truth is, we are all sinners. We all fall short. We all make mistakes. This past year, I found so much encouragement from the first miracle that Jesus performed. Remember what that is? What is it? Go ahead and say it. Yes, that sounded close. It sounded right. Water into wine, right? In Cana. Think about this miracle. I found so much encouragement from this. Jesus goes to this wedding. He's at the wedding, and they run out of wine. And what does he do? He makes more wine. Why does he do that? I, as I think through that, why does he just graciously do that? There's a people who have squandered what they had. They should have, they should have had enough. They planned for this wedding. They should have had enough wine, but they squandered it, and it's gone. And Jesus, after they've squandered what they have, makes more, and it says, better wine for them. Now, the only, only reason I can think that he would do that is because of what it tells us in the text. The only thing it tells us about that miracle is he was asked. Someone asked him. His mom asked him. And he does this miracle. And, and in the same way, in this text, I believe he is encouraging us to pray and to ask. To come to him believing. He's just told us, when you pray, say, Father. Father. The next thing we see in the illustration that he gives this story is that the asking, this man coming and asking was both inconvenient and annoying. Right? It's, a, it's midnight. It's pitch black. Right? They don't have switches. They don't, he can't just flip a switch and the lights come on and it's, it's nice and, and cozy now. It's dark. He doesn't have the clap on, clap off. It's dark in the house. It says his children are already in bed with him. This is inconvenient. It's midnight. It's dark. Kids are in bed with him. If he gets up, they're probably going to be stirred and they're going to wake up as well. What if there's animals in the house? They're going to be stirred. They're going to make noise. This is annoying. It's an inconvenience. Not only that, but the man is conversing with his friend while the friend is still in bed. So where's the guy? Outside. You think of Middle Eastern homes and how they're set up. And you have a courtyard and you have a fence. So you can imagine, we were with the kids last night praying before bed. Called them into the room. We're all sitting in a circle there. And I'm just sharing them. This is what daddy's preaching tomorrow. Think about this story. What if one of your friends came and it was midnight and you're all in bed and they're standing outside yelling to you, hey, I need something. How are you going to feel? Some of you love your sleep, right? It's going to be annoying. It's going to be an inconvenience. And in the same situation, this man comes and he, he's yelling out, calling out, waking up his friend. Calling from the entrance. He's probably not just bothering the friend, he's bothering the neighbors. 
It's an inconvenience and it's annoying. It speaks to the shameless perseverance of this man. He's willing to ask shamelessly. The word we have there, impudence, almost every time it's translated in the New Testament is translated shameless. It has this idea of audacity. Perseverance. The shameless perseverance, the audacity of him to come at midnight when everyone's asleep and it's dark and he asks. Now why? Why does he do that? And the answer is because this is his friend. Because he knows the guy in that house is my friend. I can go to him because he's my friend. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus in John 15, beginning with verse 13, says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. We have a friend who is closer than a brother. What Jesus is getting at here in Luke 11 is ask. Come and ask your Father who is in heaven. Be encouraged, be invited to pray. Jesus is encouraging the disciples. He's encouraging us, motivating us to pray and to persevere in prayer, believing in the one we're asking. This last week, I think it was Monday, it was not long after breakfast, Silas, we have five boys, our fourth uh, oldest um, son, Silas, came. I think I've told a story like this about him before, so it just kind of solidifies his, his perseverance here. Uh, this is true from this last Monday. Um, comes to me like shortly after breakfast and just says, can I have some ice cream? <laughs> Totally sincere. And I said, no. And so he goes away, and it's been like 45 seconds. He comes back around with an ice cream bar. No sin, totally wrapped, okay? There's no sin involved. He's not doing what he's not supposed to do. He just brings it and says, see, we do have some ice cream. Okay? To which I said, I didn't say we didn't have ice cream. I said, you can't have ice cream now. It's not time for ice cream. Great. Goes on his way. It's been about 35, 40 minutes. I'm upstairs. I hear Silas go to his mom. Ice cream? Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, this kid is persistent, (laughs) In his mind, he believed, I'm going to get some ice cream. I'm going to mom and dad. And I'm going to ask him for ice cream. Dad said, it's not time yet. It's too early 
40 minutes have gone by. It's time for ice cream. And so he goes and he asks again, believing, believing that he's going to get what he's asking for. He didn't have a doubt in his mind that he was going to get this ice cream. I believe, honestly, I believe that's exactly what Jesus is trying to encourage us to do in our prayer, to come believing, come trusting, come anticipating. And here's why I think that. Jesus gives this illustration about a friend. He says about the circumstance, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, this this, um, willingness to go and persevere shamelessly, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And then he says, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks it will be opened. Jesus finishes the example of this friend and says, Ask, seek, knock. Come. Pray. Believe. He's motivating us, encouraging us to pray. Now, if you're like me, you may come to this text and read these verses and immediately you want to just shout out, but what about the fences? We can't just say ask for anything. We can't just say seek for anything. We can't just say knock and you'll get it. Think about Silas asking for ice cream. And you may like, if you're like me, you may think of that story and you're thinking through it. And you're like, but you said no. So, God says no too. He doesn't always say yes. You can't just ask and get what you want or seek and you're going to find and knock the door will be open to you. And that is absolutely true. It's true. But I want to interject into that as we're thinking through that. Silas did get ice cream with his brothers later that day. We all had ice cream. It was delicious. It was very good. He got some later when we felt like it was appropriate, when, he felt, when we felt like it was the right time in the same way, we come and ask, and, and often we ask, and we just give up. We come to the Lord, and we pray. We're praying for something, and we just quit. We didn't get it right away. We didn't, we didn't pray, and this magically poof appeared in our, our, our prayer closet. The Lord wants us to pray and believe and continue to pray. And however many months it's going to take for us to get to Luke chapter 18, we get to this story of the widow where it says that, that uh, Jesus told them a story to encourage them to pray and not give up. We ought to be asking and believing and praying and anticipating and know that he knows the appropriate time. But I want to interject something else in the story with Silas. Now, I mentioned Whole Foods last week, okay? And, and if you're a Whole Foods mom, I'm sorry for this, okay? Right here. 
this is going to be hard to swallow, okay? (laughs) But just because we said no doesn't mean it would have been wrong for him to have ice cream after breakfast. Now, if he did it when we said no, it would be wrong, okay? But if we had said yes, it would not be sinful for him to eat ice cream at whatever, 9.30 or whatever it was in the morning. It would not be sinful, And there are times when we come and pray and the Lord may choose to give ice cream when man feels it's inappropriate to get ice cream. We don't know his ways. We ought to come and ask. Proverbs 15, 29 says this, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Do we believe that? Do we believe that when we come to God, he hears us and he loves us? Jesus then gives another example to motivate prayer. The first example is with a friend. The second example is with a father. Verses 11 through 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's a pretty simple illustration to understand, right? Very straightforward. What's he saying? Sometimes I am a lousy father. Sometimes I am an evil father. Sometimes I say no to ice cream, whatever it is, simply because I'm not gracious enough. Because I'm having a bad day or because I'm irritated about something else. I'm a lousy father. I am not a good father. Jesus words it this way, I'm evil We're evil. That's hard for us to accept in our society, but that's what Jesus says. He just throws it out there. You're evil. Our hearts are deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, Jeremiah says. We're desperate for him. We are evil. However, even though I am evil, even though I am a lousy father, if Alden or Leif or Sam or Silas or Judah comes to me and asks me for an egg or a fish or something else that's good, I'm not going to say, sure, and hand them a serpent or a scorpion or something that's going to bring them harm, something that's going to hurt them. Even though I'm evil, Jesus says, even though we're evil, even though I'm sinful, I still desire, I really do want to give good gifts to my kids. I really do want to be a blessing to my children. I really do want to give them good gifts. Jesus says, even though you're evil, even though you're sinful, you still know how to give good gifts. You still desire to give good gifts to your children. And if that is true, then how much more can we be absolutely confident that my heavenly father, who did not withhold his own son, 
your heavenly father who did not withhold his own son will give you good gifts. Desires to bless you with good gifts. Desires to give good gifts to his children. I love this in verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more? If you know how to give good gifts, if you're willing to give gifts, give good gifts, then how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I love this verse. For all of you who have been building fences this whole time, don't just say ask, don't just say seek, don't just say knock. This just comes such a great relief. He gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. It's good. What is the greatest gift that God the Father can give to his children? Just think about this. What is the greatest gift that God the Father can give to his children? It's the Holy Spirit. You may first say, well, salvation is the greatest gift. Yes, it is. Ephesians 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Spirit is this gift that he gives to us. There's nothing greater that he can give to us than his spirit. And the truth is, some of you hear a sermon like this, and you're you're just prayer warriors. You hear a sermon like this, you read a text like this, and you're like, amped, I'm going to pray. And you're going to find me praying for the next 24 hours, you may be thinking. I'm going to go and pray, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray more than I have been praying. I'm praying. But the truth is, some of you read a text like this or you hear a sermon like this and rather than being encouraged, you're discouraged. Because the truth is, in your heart and your mind, when the fences are not built there to to relieve that tension, the question that comes to mind is, well, how come I'm not getting the good gifts that I'm praying for? What about the woman who has prayed for her womb to be opened? You think about Rachel in the Old Testament. You think about Hannah in the Old Testament. They're not praying for scorpions or serpents. Those are not scorpions and serpents, right? What about those circumstances? What about when I'm praying for the salvation of a loved one? a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad or a sister or a brother or a neighbor, co-worker. What about that? Those aren't scorpions. Those aren't serpents. I think this verse is so helpful for us. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, to those who ask Him? I would encourage us, myself included, to ask myself first, 
Is the Holy Spirit enough for me? Is God enough for me? When I come to him and I'm asking him, I'm knocking and I'm seeking, can I come to him and say, Lord, you are sufficient. You are enough. Your spirit is enough. I'm satisfied. You are my portion. I can say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. I may not get what I'm asking for. But God, you're the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can we say that from our heart as we approach him? As we come to ask. And if we can't say that, if he's not enough, if in our hearts and even with our our, our minds we're, we're thinking that's not enough, he's not enough, then we need to reevaluate why am I even praying and how am I praying and who am I even praying to? But if he is... And if he's giving you the Holy Spirit, the greatest gift that he could give to us, then the Spirit is working in us to conform us to the image of his Son. And if we're being conformed to the image of his Son, then then my praying is being conformed to the image of his Son. And my praying becomes more and more about him and about what his desires are. And I become more content with whatever good gifts he chooses to give. And ultimately, I will rest in the gift of the Spirit. If you then know, even though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I want to ask and mention a question that may come to your mind as it relates to this. As it relates to praying and shamelessly coming before the Lord in prayer, just as the friend did. You may be asking yourself this question, Tony, you believe in the sovereignty of God, right? To that I would answer, yes, in all things. Proverbs 18, the lot is cast in the lap and its every decision is from the Lord. The most random thing that the writer of the Proverbs could think of, this lot like a dice being tossed and its every decision is from the Lord. I believe in the absolute sovereignty of God. And so you may ask me then, then how do God's sovereignty and our prayer work together? How does that work? And I would answer you honestly, I don't know. But I know both are true. And I know without a doubt that he wants me to pray and to believe and to persist in prayer, not giving up. And I don't believe he tells me that to frustrate me. He tells me that for his glory that he would be glorified. And so I'm going to continue to pray. And the truth is, so often I don't know God's will for me. Even as I'm praying and I'm asking, I don't know what God's will is. I know the clear things, right? I know he doesn't want me to murder. Don't murder. 
Don't lie. Don't steal. I know there's things throughout the scriptures that are black and white. And we ought to know that. But the truth is, right, there are times we come to the Lord, things come into our life, circumstances come into our life. We didn't see this coming, Lord. And I don't know what your will is, God. That doesn't mean we don't pray. It doesn't mean I ought not to pray. I come believing, praying, asking. And I have this hope in my asking. Even though I am fallible, even though I am prone to wander, even though I am sinful, and as Jesus says, I am evil, this is true. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. No matter the circumstances that come into my life, no matter whether I know what God's will is or not, as I'm praying, I can trust in his Spirit that he has gifted to me. Because even as Paul writes, when I'm praying not as I ought to pray, even in my fallible heart that is prone to wonder, when I'm coming to the Lord and asking for scorpions and serpents, the Holy Spirit knows what is the will of God and he is interceding, he is praying, he is pleading with the Lord on my behalf what is right in God's eyes for me. And that should bring great hope to us. We don't know what to pray as we ought so often. But God's spirit has been gifted to us. He's given us his spirit and that spirit loves his glory and exalts God and wants God to be exalted through us and is praying on our behalf for us what is true and what is right. And so we ought to pray and we ought to believe and know that even when we get it wrong, the spirit is praying what is right for us. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace, Lord. You're good and what you do is good and we are prone to wander so often. We fall, we fail, we sin and we run away from you rather than to you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us through a text like this. Lord, that we would trust you just as Jesus just clearly says to his disciples how good you are. You have called us, you've told us to call you Father and to believe as we pray that, that you are our Father because of Christ, that we're hidden in him, that in him your word says we're holy and blameless before you. And you give us these illustrations, Lord, to help us, to encourage us, Lord, to motivate us to be people of prayer, Lord. We want that. Lord, would you help us to be a people who pray and who believe and who keep praying and who keep believing and who trust in a heavenly Father who knows what is good and right, who trust in the Holy Spirit inside of us interceding on our behalf, Lord, for your glory, 
Ultimately, that's what we want. We want you to be glorified, Lord. And so help us to be a people who are following you, who are denying ourselves, who are taking up our cross, and who are following you. And work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit as you give him to us, Lord, have given him to us. Would you conform us as you promised you will, Lord, more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.